Hello, hello. I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast. Join me every other week to hear data professionals discuss how data is used in various industries, get inspired, get your field of tips to help you overcome challenges on your career and feel great. Let's get straight into it. This is episode 29 of the Women in Data podcast, Breaking the Mold. I am joined today by Satya Bala, Head of Global Data Governance at Channel. In this episode, we talk about what data governance is and how it varies from one industry to another. Satya also shares her views on the perceptions people have of data professionals, encouraging you to create your own story. Finally, she introduces My Skin, My Story, the community she created to empower women of color to earn their success. Hi, Satya. Hi. It's such a pleasure to have you today. And we're going to talk of a a bit of a different topic. We're going to talk about data governance and we're going to talk about breaking the mold. But before we get into it, could I invite you to introduce yourself? Yes, of course. So I'm Satya Bala. I uh, am the global head of data governance at Chanel. I grew up in Sydney, Australia, and now have been living in London for the last 12 or 13 years. So I've worked in a few different places, started in audit, and now ended up in data about seven years ago, and very much looking forward to talking to you today. Yeah, uh, I'm really excited about it. I've never actually spoken about data governance, and I don't feel like I have a good understanding of what it is. So could you tell us what data governance is? Sure. I feel like you're probably not the only one who's not sure what data (laughs) governance is. I think it's one of these things that generally people don't really recognize what it means. I think in the simplest way, it's really about making data a business priority. So it's really about putting in processes, roles and responsibilities to drive the ownership and the quality of the data that's most critical to businesses. I think we know, you know, we all deal with lots of data um, in our jobs. We can't control and manage all of it because it takes time and effort. But where we're making really important business decisions, the data that kind of underpins that or really key business outcomes and board reports, things like how do we make sure that we can rely on the data, it's trusted, it's owned, and so we can do the work that we need to rather than argue about the correctness of the data. So it's really about that. And it's one of these kind of foundational things that if we want to do more sophisticated things with, you know, data analytics, with AI, data governance is kind of one of the key ingredients that if that ingredient isn't good, the output of what we might want to do through fancy tools and data techniques is really limited. So yeah, it's really about ownership and quality and putting it with the business to decide what data is most critical to them and for them to realize they own it and are responsible for that quality. I guess it's something that's required more and more, right? Because there are more companies getting data centric. From what I'm hearing from you, I would say it's on the rise. Would you agree? Definitely, definitely. I think data governance is probably something that 
perhaps a few organizations were talking about 10 years ago, but it really wasn't, you know, high up on the agenda. I think now it's one of the key priorities. If you have a chief data officer or a head of data, it's a key priority for them. And also ever since I've been working in data governance, it's been a key priority for boards. They understand that not only is there a risk around data that's increasing because people have realized the value of data and there's more risk around it, but I think people are increasingly realizing the value of data. So the more and more we realize data is valuable to us, the more we're reliant on it being good data. So yeah, I think it's something that is definitely not going to go away anytime soon. And it's becoming more and more important um, to senior leaders in all organizations. You worked in various industries, so in grocery, in banking, and now you're at Chanel. Have you noticed any difference in how data governance work uh, across industries? Would you say it's the same in grocery and in the um, banking industry, for example? The interesting thing with data governance is even within an industry, so I'll take banking as an example. I've worked at two or three banks in data governance roles. Even there, the approach is different. So I think the really interesting thing with data governance and what makes it, I guess, really exciting to work in and perhaps a bit challenging is it's such a new profession. It's such a new business problem. You know, how do we sustainably govern data um, so that it just becomes part of how we do things? Every place I've worked at has approached it differently. I would say the main kind of shift that's happened is I think there was a stage perhaps five years ago where banks were perhaps a little bit more ahead or had at least invested more money in governing data because there was a regulatory pressure. Yeah. So they have... <laughs> So, you know, the regulators were kind of saying, if you're going to give us these really important risk reports where we are basing on your viability, how do we know that we can trust that data? So there was some regulation around that. But then at the same time, in grocery and in luxury retail, even though the regulation hasn't pushed them in that direction, I think just as a professional industry, everyone realized that data was important, right? There were you know, lots of scary data breaches that we could probably all talk about where even as individuals, I'm sure we've all received those emails, whether it's from banks or LinkedIn or, or whatever organization that said that, oh, your details may have been compromised because of a hack, we've all been there. And again, it's become something that unless you do it, you kind of are left behind. It's become a kind of competitive thing just to stay ahead in the market. So I think five years ago, yeah, probably there's a bit of difference because it was quite regulatory-led in banks. But I think even now in banks, they realise that beyond the regulation and the scope of it, it's something that they need to do. And so everyone's kind of coming at it from a similar angle. I would say because it's such a fresh topic and there aren't really lots of proven examples because it's so new. Everyone's trying it kind of differently. And this is why I think data communities are so useful, especially for me as a as an individual, because it's one of these things that you have to completely customize your approach based on the business. Um, so again, you know, between the banks I worked at, they each went at a, a different angle because one organization was really multinational 
Uh, one was a bit more Europe-centric, one was bigger, one was smaller, one was more decentralized, one was more centralized. So honestly, it's one of these things that wherever you work, it's fully transferable. Um, and also it's totally different. You you really have to be able to understand the business and and figure out the best way to to tackle it, which kind of makes it really interesting. It's not kind of one approach that works. That, that sounds quite interesting. So basically, every time you change job, it's never going to be the same. And even within the, same, yeah. and within the same company, you might even end up doing different things. So sounds like you will never get bored. <laughs> no, and I think it's always changing as well. That's the interesting thing, you know, coming back to communities of data practitioners. This is why it's such a great community because no one's trying to protect any secrets to this because we're all kind of figuring it out together and also the, the landscape's always changing you know we're we're trying to keep on top of the different ways businesses are trying to use data as well what people want to get out of data today in a business is different to what they wanted to get out of it five years ago so it's really dynamic you're kind of always learning but the great part of it is that it never gets boring. And also it's a profession you can come into at any point in your life, I think as well, because it is so new. And a lot of it is just having that good commercial understanding of how do I understand the business and what's the best way to make it feel like the business is getting something out of data. It's all about buy-in. It's all about getting the sponsorship and then figuring out pragmatic ways to put it into practice. I love how you're saying it's a role you can come in at any time in your life and I'm thinking no way I'm going there it sounds so complicated (laughs) but with with that in mind I'm guessing you you would have a different set of skills than data scientists and data analysts well it's not I'm guessing it's pretty obvious that this is the case and this leads us really well to the breaking the mold part of the the podcast where you wanted to talk about the fact that data professionals have a really broad set of skills and there is not one mold where we all fit in. But nowadays that there is a hype around data science and you know data science being the sexiest job around. It can make people who want to come into the industry or people just starting their career thinking that data science is the only job available in data or maybe the only one that is worth going for. I do some mentoring and all the students who are trying to break into data only ask me about data science. They don't ask me about anything else. What are your views on that? Yeah, I think breaking the mold was something I I really wanted to talk about because I think there are some myths out there in terms of the data world. Um, But I also think, to my point before, it's the type of industry that is new and that you can kind of enter into any time. You don't need a certain degree or a certain qualification. And so I think there's a huge opportunity as well of, you know, if any profession is going to be really inclusive and have people from every background, it should be data, in my opinion. So I think the myth side of it is that there is only kind of one kind of data person and perhaps that's what it looks like from the outside. So I would say, you know, for me personally, 
I am not a technical data person. I am definitely kind of coming from a business perspective. I wouldn't say I even have that much of specialized skills. It's really about problem solving, understanding the business, putting in some really common sense data principles. But the hard part is not what you're trying to do, because a lot of the time it's obvious. The what is you know, we should have consistent definitions of data so that in a business, we all know what we're talking about. You know, we should have a good understanding of the standards that make data good so we can figure out if the quality is bad. We should have people who are assigned as data owners so we know who to take data problems to and make decisions on data. If I say that to anyone, People are going to say, yeah, that makes sense. That's reasonable. But it's then how do you do it? These are things that we're trying to do, changing the culture and behavior of people. And so I would say, look, data science is a great area, but data governance is also one that's opened up to people that don't need specific technical skills. All the things I've just said, it's all about people, shifting mindsets, knowing how to convince people and get their buy-in that data is important and then changing that behavior, right? Yesterday, people maybe saw problems with data and they kind of pushed it under the carpet, but tomorrow we want them to feel empowered to raise those issues to the right people and get them resolved so that our kind of outputs can be faster, quicker, cheaper, more effective. So really, I think it's a really big world within data and perhaps there are lower barriers to entry in something like data governance. And that might be a great way in to then understand more around those other data roles that perhaps need a bit more of a technical skill set. Anyone can do it. I fell into it completely accidentally. I was working, as you said, at a grocery retailer in internal audit. That's how I started my career. And then I moved into data governance and it was completely transferable, the skills. I thought it would be a huge jump, but it really wasn't. And again, I think it's it's an area where anyone can join from any background and you don't need to have a certain degree. So I really think that we need to do better perhaps as a profession in kind of communicating that. And I already see some great work in terms of how do we get that message out there to people from different ethnic backgrounds, from different class backgrounds. Because if we're really uh, conscientious, data can be one of those areas where it's really open to all and and we can have a really interesting talent pool, you know, pulling from 100% of the population. There really shouldn't be any barriers to entry because to me it's a new profession. So, you know, you don't need a long history or a long experience in something. And I'm really kind of passionate that we do that. What you're saying makes me think of uh, in November at the Weed Week, there was um, operational researcher that was saying, oh, operational research has been around forever. It's kind of like data science, but it doesn't have PR that is as good as data science PR. So it's yes. like data governance needs a better PR now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think maybe even the data science PR, let's make sure that that PR is really opening it up to all. Because, you know, me as an individual, and I've spoken with my friends, and I know we're going to get to that next, which is if I look at my community of close friends and professional contacts, a lot of them are women of color like myself. And I've spoken, for example, to some mums who are thinking of returning to work. Data science was one of those areas that 
they were thinking, actually, maybe I can retrain and, and go into that. Um, but others think, actually, there is, you know, you need to be technical, you need to have a certain background, it's something you can't learn. Maybe that it's a bit of an IT thing, which is still quite kind of male dominated. So, you know, I still hear with all the great PR, I, I still think that we're not necessarily getting that message out that it's truly open to all. And I do think back to breaking the mold, people probably have an idea of what a data scientist is. And I think we need to be really clear that actually anyone can be a, a data scientist. And also we need to be aware that a lot of us don't make it easy for ourselves. Like in terms of my personal journey, I would have never thought I would be working even in data governance. I probably from the outside thought it was something that I needed a real specialized skill set. It was only because I was pushed by my bosses at work and it was an internal move that I kind of felt like I could be a credible person because I at least understood the business. So I do think, you know, again, some of us suffer from that imposter syndrome. So how do we do really good work to counteract the fact that people may look at data scientists and say, oh, you know, they're like super smart. They're like really specialized. I could never do that. I hear you. I spoke a couple of weeks ago to a woman who was transitioning into data science. And she was telling me that it is really scary because she's been training for a while and it feels like there is always something new to learn. So as you said, people have this idea of data science and data analytics and they, they might think that they need to know it all before entering the industry while you can actually learn on the job. Yeah, and it's just like I said with governance, even the the top experts are always having to learn because that's the whole thing with data. New things come up all the time. Yeah. So if you're just kind of willing to learn, doing because, of course, you need to know certain things and train in certain technical skills, you know, in data science, but whether it's data science or data governance, a lot of it is also understanding business problems being able to deal with stakeholders and figure out what is it they actually need? Like, what is the business problem I'm trying to solve for using data? And again, I think it's a really new industry. So now is the time to dismantle any kind of barriers that might be there because we haven't been around that long for those barriers to be entrenched compared to other professions. So I think there's some great conversations about, you know, how we are more diverse and inclusive within our data teams, but also as a profession. And I think if we keep that focus, we can be a real role model compared to other professions as well. And talking about diversity and inclusion, you created My Skin, My Story, which is uh, all about that. So it's all about diversity and also supporting women of colour. How did you start that? Yeah, so I guess for me, it's been perhaps a year or so in the making. In the summer of 2019, I took some time off over the summer and I was just kind of thinking about my own close circle of friends, the colleagues that I'm closest to, my own kind of history. And for me, I am a, a Sri Lankan Tamil, Australian, now Brit. My journey has been one where as a woman of colour, which is someone I identify with, I've not always identified within my own community. I've always felt comfortable with a group of, of women and women of colour in my life. My closest friends are 
um, subconsciously or consciously, you know, when I've gone through working life, when I work with younger women, I kind of try to to support them and, and, and bring out their confidence. And I realized that there weren't many spaces that really talked about intersectionality, which is where parts of our identity are often tackled maybe one step at a time if you look at how historically companies have tackled diversity and inclusion. So, for example, there might be a Pride Month and there might be a network for people from ethnic minorities. There might be a a network for women. But actually, if you're more than one of those things, you're not bringing one part of yourself to a certain situation. And intersectionality is a term that was coined in, in the 70s And it talks about how there is a bit of a multiplier effect when you layer different kind of characteristics, which from a minority or a marginalized group, right? And so for me, that intersection of race and gender um, is something that has always been part of my life. And I would say a perfect example is if, if I'm walking down the street and someone says something to me, even a couple of months ago, someone said something derogatory to me on the street. And in my mind, I don't know if they're saying it because I'm brown. I don't know if they're saying it because I'm a woman or because it's both, right? Because that's just my life. So I can't compartmentalize those things. And I thought me and my friends, we don't really talk about that. We're really close friends. We talk about life. We talk about relationships. We complain about work as all friends do. But it's one of these things that women of colour, we've been kind of conditioned, some of us, to kind of not really show these parts of ourselves or even talk about them within our own community. That's kind of the really interesting part of it. And so I thought, why don't I just start inviting my friends over and having chats about this? And the conversation just flowed, right? And it was just about sharing these relatable experiences, not just about work, but in our personal lives of how we have moved through life, dealing with our identity, not just what other people project onto us and and some of the tough situations we're in, but also all the internalized stuff where we are also conditioned and we sometimes suffer from imposter syndrome even more because that is something that's closely tied to being part of a marginalized population, or we do try to assimilate at work. We we may not always reach out to that other woman of color in the room because we don't want to be perceived that we're ganging up on everyone else, which is actually a very strange thing because you wouldn't assume that when you see two white people talking, but if you see two women of color talking, there is a different dynamic. So for so long, we've kind of not really had a space in a community. And that was really the organic idea behind My Skin, My Story. It's a place for women of colour across professions, across seniority levels. We've got women working in charities. They own their own businesses or for big corporates. And we basically connect and, and we chat. We kind of empower and cheerlead each other because sometimes it can be tough being what I call the the unicorn in the room. If there aren't many women of color in your department or at a certain level, it can feel kind of lonely to be the only one. So to have a community where you can come together and get nourished, but also share resources and tools and connections, it's just been really rewarding. That's really the thought behind it. And it's just turned into something even more beautiful than 
um, I could have expected. Yeah, it is quite beautiful. So this leads us to the, the end of this episode, but could you tell us if someone is interested in finding out more about My Skin, My Story, where can they find the information? Yes, of course. So we are on Instagram. So the handle is at myskinmystory underscore. And also you can definitely reach out to myself on LinkedIn. I, I post about it a lot. But that's kind of the main way. And we've got a meetup uh, usually every month virtually um, where women get to talk to each other and share. And what's great is also it just builds a network. So many conversations happen outside of that meetup too. And lastly, it's not just about women of color. I've had people come to me and say, hey, I want to really be an ally of what you're doing. Um, so I've also set up an allyship alliance, which is open to anyone. If you follow our Instagram, you can find more out there. Thank you, Satya. Thank you, Karen. It was great to chat. Before you go, quick announcement. In April, we will be celebrating the one-year anniversary of the podcast. I cannot believe it's been a year already and that we actually managed to release episodes regularly for a full year. So what we will do is to celebrate this, we will be releasing episodes every week throughout the month of April. I'm really looking forward to it and I hope you are too. Thank you for listening to the Women in Data podcast. If you don't want to miss the next episode, make sure you follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or on LinkedIn. You can also register to the community for free by heading to womenindata.co.uk. We would love to hear from you, so don't be shy and drop us some feedback or a review. This will help us enhance the content and bring the guests that you want to hear from. Have a great day.